2: Welcome in to daily Faceoff live your go-to source for everything hockey live every weekday at noon Eastern)
0: Welcome in! It's a fresh week of shows here at Daily Face Off Live, and they are all brought to you by our friends at Botano. Whether you want to get in on the final few series in Major League Baseball's postseason, some hockey action, or Monday Night Football, patano has got it all. Game starts now, patano.ca. Yeah, Frank Smirking. NLCS starts this week.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be awesome, Tyler. You'll laugh. So um, it was one of those situations where yesterday I, I said to my wife, I was like, "Hey, two tickets tomorrow. Like, what are you thinking?" Kind of like. Hoping she'd be like, oh, yeah, boy, like just invite your buddy, like go have a ball. And she was like, I'm oh, in, I want to go. And I was like, all right, Ooh. I guess that settles that.
0: She's caught Philly's fever. Uh, should be a great week of sports here coming up, middle of October. Uh, you, can't is- even,
3: you can't even combat that. You're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I guess she's in.
0: It is the uh, best time on the sports calendar. Uh, Frank, before we get into our topics for the day, some news from this morning. Uh, Eric Angles of Sportsnet reporting Kirby Doc has a lower body injury and it is significant and it will be long term. That is a big blow for the Habs, but also you feel for Kirby Doc, a young guy that just can't seem to stay healthy.
3: Well, Kirby Dock looked excellent for the Habs to start the year, and that's really the biggest blow. As a guy that turned the corner last year, took a huge step forward in his game, appeared to be ready to take the next step, and now Marty St. Louis saying this morning that Alex Newhook will move to the center position for the Montreal Canadiens. So opportunity for him, mm-hmm. and he also looked pretty good to start the year after a stint with the Abs in which he really wasn't able to hold down that center spot. So we'll see if he can do it in Montreal.
0: Yeah, uh, that offseason edition now looking like it could potentially pay off for the uh, Canadians. Uh, Let's stay in Canada and throw our first topic up on the board. Frank, red hot start for Austin Matthews. And you can see at the bottom, Poppy's home. A little nod to Drake. I know you weren't going to get that reference of a a Drake song. in our Why? Because I'm old? No, because I know you're not a hip hop guy.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like Drake. I'll listen to Drake every now and again. But yeah, I get where you're at.
0: Well, Austin Matthews, Poppy, he is back home in the goal column. Six goals in two games. A just absolutely remarkable start to the season for Austin Matthews. He's shooting 46%, Frank. I'm not a great numbers guy. I know that's not sustainable, but this start from Matthews just gives him such a big cushion for the rest of the year. What's the goal-scoring ceiling for Austin Matthews in 23-24?
3: I don't think there is a ceiling. I think that's the honest answer. I think if you were to tell me, you know, that by April, Austin Matthews will have 70 goals and be the NHL's first 70-goal scorer in 30-plus years, I'd say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I could see that. That computes. Health is going to play a huge factor, but I see no reason why Austin Matthews can't get back to the level that he appeared to be at a couple seasons ago when he won the Hart Trophy. This is a special player, and I think what's the biggest news for the Toronto Maple Leafs is – He looks like he has his swagger back. I hate the term swag, but when you look at Matthews, there was just this cool factor to him a couple years ago where it was like this quiet confidence that whenever he had the puck on his stick, he was going to be a threat. That didn't exist last year. There was this aura of invincibility that had existed around Matthews a couple years ago That was punctured in a big way. I don't know what the reasoning for that was. I'm going to chalk most of it up to health since he acknowledged last March that that hand and wrist injury was still really bothering him. That's maybe how you can explain someone going from 60 to 40. But for me, he's back. And it's it's an eye test thing way more than it's a numbers thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why I love that clip that our our producer Gavin pulled up there of him scoring his second hat trick, just how fired up he is. Like, you can tell he's just totally locked in to a different zone right now. The biggest thing with him, it's going to be health, right? Like six goals in your first two, that puts you on such a nice pace to cruise into the high 60s, maybe the 70s. But Matthews needs to stay healthy. You're not scoring 70 if you're only playing 70, you know?
3: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And for him, it's going to be trying to limit. He, he scores in bunches. For him, it's going to be trying to limit how many games you go between goals. Is it four games, six games, seven, whatever it might be. He can score at will at times. Consistency is always a factor. So one word answer, Tyler. Can Austin or not Ken, will Austin Matthews get a hat trick of hat tricks to start the year? First player in NHL history you can do it against Connor Bernard and the Chicago Blackhawks tonight. Yes or no?
0: Oh, it's it's just so hard to say yes. So I'm Come gonna on, say do no. it. But if there's a team he's gonna do it against, it's Peter Mrazek and the Blackhawks, right?
3: Yeah, I'm uh I I think he does it. How electric would that be?
0: it'd be that place would be going bananas. Like, I mean, it'd be history. It's never, it never been done before. You can go, go back to the days of like Cyclone Taylor with no forward passes. Like no one's ever done this to start a season. Cyclone
3: Taylor. Yeah. No one has done it. You're right. It's
0: crazy. Uh, yeah, should be good. Andrew's in the YouTube chat says, glad I put a bet on the field against Connor McDavid in the heart trophy race. Yeah. Austin Matthews making, come on. Uh,
3: It's too soon to have this conversation. I was already asked about it this morning. Here's the thing. Even when Austin Matthews scored 60 and won the heart, a big part of that was because no one had gotten to 60. Well, last year, McDavid topped that and got to 64, and Matthews was still like 40-some points behind, 48 points, 46 points behind where McDavid ended up finishing last year. So if Austin Matthews is going to win the heart this year, Better increase that point production too. It's not all about numbers, but for me, if Austin if Austin Matthews is in the 110 range with 70 goals, I'm sorry that's probably not going to get it done if Connor McDavid's scoring 63 or 67 and has 45 more points.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Leafs fans kind of feeling on top of the world right now watching Austin Matthews, couple other Canadian fan bases, Frank breathing a bit of a sigh of relief, and it's the Vancouver Canucks and the Ottawa Senators, both those teams off to solid starts, and both those teams desperately needed to get off to solid starts. In Ottawa, I mean, it's only been three games, but you win two of them, and I feel like just maybe a sense of calmness comes over that organization in that locker room where it's like, okay, not everything's going to work against us. We know we can win early in the year. We're not going to completely blow our feet off in the first 10 games.
3: Yeah. So what I would say to that is it's a little early still to say that you're out of the woods, but some promising returns. And I think kind of what drove me crazy about the first five days of the year is everyone was talking about what, what's wrong with the Edmonton Oilers. What didn't they do? How about we start giving some credit to the Vancouver Canucks attention Mm -hmm. to detail, effort, compete, all those things were there. And I love, love, love the way that they responded on Saturday night. I thought the Canucks were going to get run out of Rogers place first four, 52 seconds, whatever it was, 42 seconds, five shots on goal. Casey to Smith under siege Oilers up one, nothing. They respond in a big way to the way the opener went in van. And yet the Canucks settled in that team works. And I think what's maybe the best sign for both of these two teams Ottawa and Vancouver is they're doing it in spite of what could be some pretty crippling injuries. I think the Carson Susie injury on Vancouver's back end is a big deal. You take a team that's five defensemen deep and make them four. That's a huge change. And what about the Sens without Josh Norris, without Shane Pinto, who remains unsigned? Two core pieces of your center group. You take those players off of just about any other team and they're going to really struggle. And not to say that the Sens, again, are out of the woods because we don't have an update on Josh Norris. Shane Pinto still is not signed because they refuse to pull the trigger and make a move. But with that sitting there, it's every reason to turn around and say, oh, well, we stumbled out of the gate again. We stubbed our toe. And they haven't done that. So I like the pushback from both teams.
0: Yourself and Jason Greger talked a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks this morning on the DFO Rundown. People can find that wherever they get their podcasts from. And I like the point that Gregor brought up JT Miller and his competitiveness. You talked about how him and Rick Tockett really seem to gel. This Canucks roster seems to just really be buying into this Rick Tockett style of hockey. Like they're scrappy. They never roll over. At least they haven't through two games. You know, it's, it's early. I know we got to talk a little weird, but they seem to just be really be buying into what Rick Tockett's selling. And they
3: weren't last year, just so everyone knows. like He talked on, frankly speaking, when I was out in van a couple of weeks ago about how his second game behind the bench, they got pumped 6-1, to one, and he was out on a Vancouver street corner at 2 in the morning muttering to himself. He was so upset about the way they played, their body language, all those things that come with it. And it took an assistant coach to come to him and say, hey, relax. Not everything's going to change overnight, and not everything is going to magically snap your fingers for the Vancouver Canucks and it's going to be a lot better, mm-hmm. but they seem to be on the right track. And, and if you weren't listening and you weren't paying attention, let me tell you again, once Carson Susi returns, this Canucks defense core with a full season of Philip Peronic is markedly better than last year. So do not sleep on the Canucks.
0: Let's stick in the Pacific Division here, Frank, and talk a little about the LA Kings. I mean, half the Pacific Division is sitting without a win, and they've all played at least two games. But in LA, you probably make the same case for Edmonton, but we'll just dial in on the Kings here. In LA, you could maybe make the case that there is a reason to be concerned, even though it's only two games. We talked a lot heading into the season about the big risk that Rob Blake took going with Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot. And now they've each gotten a start. And they each haven't looked very good in that start. Cam Talbot, 889 save percentage. He was peppered with 36 shots, but still gave up four goals. Phoenix Copley with an ugly 14 for 19 in his first start. Um, This is not good, Frank. Can Kings fans have a bit of confidence this will sort itself out? Or is it panic time coming? Look, it's
3: overreaction season. This Mm -hmm. is what everyone does is they begin to panic and say, well, what if? and even some good teams that are off to decent starts. Like, well, what if the wheels fall off? Here's the thing and why it's different for the Kings is people could have seen this coming from a million miles away. And I know that you look at the Kings start and you say, well, but look, they played two of the best teams in the league to this point. They got the Colorado Avalanche who have a chip on their shoulder on opening night, and then followed that up with, The Carolina Hurricanes, who have been among the class of the East. And you sit here and you say, Well, eh, just two games, not a big deal. And my thing is, I and I, and I was consistent about this from the beginning, and I will remain consistent about this, even as their numbers will rise, because they can't get much worse than an 839 team save percentage through the first two games. Is you bet an $83.5 million roster on two and a half million dollars in goaltending. And I know what Phoenix Copley's record was last season. It was pretty damn good. It was something like 24-6-3. But his numbers, his underlying numbers, were not very good. And Cam Talbot, even when he was healthy last year in Ottawa, still was not very good when he played. So you take that and you mash it all together and you say, geez, we might have a little bit of an issue here. That, yes, this Kings defense core is smart and can skate and can move the puck but may not be enough alone to cover up for some of their issues and, and the way they fall short in net. The key question is, when do you begin to get nervous? I'd say you give it a few weeks if you're Rob Blake, but I don't think it's really all that crazy to start thinking and looking and saying, hey, maybe we didn't get this right, and maybe we need to fix it because life comes at you fast in the NHL
0: especially in a division that could be as competitive as the Pacific this year. The only argument I'd have against, you know, trying to solve it in the next two weeks, who's giving you a handout, Frank, you, you always drop the line. Like other GMs aren't looking to throw you a life raft. They're looking to throw you an anvil.
3: I think you smoke out the other teams that are sitting here still with three goalies. Hmm. I don't know what exactly Caden Primo is in Montreal, but I do know that at some point they're probably going to have to send him down. Cause he's going to need to start playing games. And I don't know what um, Felix Sandstrom or Samuel Urson is in, in in Philly, but I'd at least like to try and find out. And that's before you could even then go out and sign or trade. Like, what's Yaroslav Halak doing as he's training in Boston? What um, what about some of these other guys in the trade market? Go and get Dan Vladar from Calgary. Give him a give him a second round pick. Like, I, I don't think it's really all that complicated to solve. And my point would be banging your head against a wall for 80 or 78 more games doesn't really make a lot of sense for a team with legitimate expectations and aspirations.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Let's move along. We, we're going to get to our friend John Goyans in a few minutes with the coach's room, Frank. But let's play a new little Monday game we got here. It is pass or fail. I got a few things I'm going to throw your direction. And actually, it lines up nicely because the YouTube chat is talking a lot about that nice Anaheim Ducks victory over the Carolina Hurricanes. I want to talk more about how they look doing it, Frank, like physically how they look doing it with these, uh, these new third jerseys. They got a bit of a twist on a classic, I'm torn on it. I can't Come tell if on. it's corny or if it's sweet. Pass or fail on the ducks threads.
3: Pass, big pass, easy pass, A plus. the The uniforms that the ducks wear in the regular season, the Brian Burke era, uh, you know, winged yeah. foot. Sorry, like those colors, those those days are over. For a while, the ducks were embarrassed to be the mighty ducks but just wait 20 years and what was dorky then is cool now. So I'm I'm all in. I think the Ducks should totally go back to their retro early 90s threads, the maroon, the teal, bring back the full-on Mighty Ducks uniforms because and and frankly change the team name back. Look at all the other teams that you've seen go back to retro type logos. The Buffalo Sabres, uh the Pittsburgh Penguins, like They're all back to what they were wearing in the nineties. I don't like the Vancouver Canucks colors have changed back and, and time and time again, like go back to what your roots are. You can never go wrong. So big pass
0: Gav. Can we flash them up again? I, (laughs) I I don't like like this
3: specific duck head because this one was more cartoony, but I'm just saying, take that actual emblem and replace it with the original, like sticks crossed mighty duck. And I like it's golden.
0: I do also, now that you're saying going back to these full time, I would love to see what a crisp white version of these could potentially look like. I think that could actually go pretty hard. Um, All right. Next up. We, like I said, we're going to talk about Connor Bedard in a second, but first Frank in Columbus over the weekend, Jonathan quick, got himself a video tribute, a touching moment inside nationwide arena as the fifth line fans out in CBJ could finally pay their respects to a guy who was on the team for about eight minutes. Uh, this was pretty funny and we got the reaction of quick chuckling on the bench.
3: Pass. Uh, hilarious. Well done by the game pres staff in Columbus. Um, I think it's also kind of making fun of some of these other videos Mm -hmm. that we see from teams that welcome back players that played 26 games quick. Never even flew to Columbus. The, they acquired him, knew they were sending him somewhere else. He was stunned to leave the Kings. Worked out pretty well. He ends up getting his third Stanley Cup ring with the Vegas Golden Knights. He's on to the New York Rangers where uh, he knows Chris Drury from being boys in Connecticut. And I think it's hilarious. Well done.
0: Okay, a couple more for you. These ones are a nice little transition into our next topic. But Taylor Hall speaking in Toronto today about the media attention Connor Bedard's getting. He said, quote, he does way too many in-game interviews. He understands his role as a major ambassador. He's willing to handle it. I think it can be a little much for him at times. He doesn't say that, but I feel like it is. Pass or fail on those comments from Hall?
3: Fail. Uh, LeBron James, last time I checked, talks every day. Not saying Connor Bernard is yet. But Mm. there's this NHL-wide player thought of, well, I don't need to do that because I did it yesterday. Or I don't need to do this video because I did it three weeks ago. And I don't need to do this. And you know what you get? It's, it's this hilarious and, and utterly ridiculous thought process that I don't have that obligation. It's someone else's to do for me. Did Sidney Crosby ever, ever cry about being exposed to media too much? Last time I checked, no. And he's been one of the great ambassadors to ever play the game. More than that, there's this whole thought process of, oh, the NHL sucks at marketing its stars. They I can't ever get it right. You know, You, as I said earlier today, you cannot suck and blow at the same time. You are either out there and in front of everyone, or are you, you are sitting in the corner, sucking your thumb. Which one is it? Yeah. Can't be both.
0: Quickly. One word pass or fail on Habs fans, booing Connor Bedard.
3: Uh, I that's not one word I hate telling (laughs) anyone that spends money what to do but I'll say fail
0: yeah I I think I'm with you on that although a a neat little welcome to playing hockey in Canada moment for Connor Bedard it's been a great start to the first overall picks career he's racked up a couple of points but I want to go a little bit more in depth with our guy John Goins let's get to the coach's room The Coach's Room is brought to you by DoorDash. Make gift shopping fun again with DoorDash. Shop for everyone on your list with items like gift cards, cosmetics, sleep masks, candles, and more. All available to order, yes, even at the last minute. Finding the perfect gift has never been easier with DoorDash. We bring in a guy who, you know what, I'll probably, maybe I'll get him some sleep masks. John Goins looks like a guy who'd enjoy a nice candle under the tree around Christmas, no?
1: Absolutely, why not?
0: Uh, let's talk a little bit about Connor Bedard, John. I'm really interested to pick your brain about a few things. But first, zeroing in on his game a little bit. Most coaches, they they want players entering the offensive zone in a in a safe manner. I want you to give your thoughts on that approach, but then also compare it a little bit to what we've seen Bedard do in that situation so far in his early in his career.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, that's the way a lot of these kids have been taught all the way up through minor hockey, through junior college, whichever way. Coaches are so afraid of the middle of the ice and losing the puck in the middle of the ice that you get a lot of players that skate so wide and hold on to the puck for so long that they practically run into the Zamboni driver and end up with popcorn on their head, and they don't end up creating anything. Whereas Connor Bedard, as a, three games into his career, and I had – an unbelievable angle calling the home opener on Saturday. He is not afraid to bring the puck to the middle of the ice, which is so hard for defenders. And he is putting all teams on notice that he's going to attack you. And if your footwork isn't sharp, your stick isn't sharp, he's going to make you pay. And it's not just that even strength. It's going to be also on the power play, which we're going to break down after the even strength clips.
3: So let's get into those even strength clips now. And and you're watching him pick through the middle. What are you seeing here?
1: I'm seeing a guy that just sees space and doesn't waste the opportunity to attack it. I see vision on this clip. He sees that it's a one, two, two by Boston. He gets open. It's on his stick and it's off his stick. There are times he might hold it a little too long, but man, he draws the attention. And this ends up leading to his first goal in the National Hockey League. And he could have died on the outside and he didn't. Why? Because he's constantly in movement and he's doing things that a lot of rookies that might not be tempted to do because they might be playing safe hockey. Even here, he's out of sight, out of mind, off a cycle, steals it, draws four players to him. This is where I think the Chicago roster is going to have to get used to him and what he creates space for others around him. Again, he could just skate wide. No, he's going to catch this guy on his heels a little bit, attack the middle of the ice. One on four, no problem. He's still going to be a threat to rip the puck or dangle. And in this case, he sucks the defensive coverage down low, low to high. What's going to happen? Seth Jones takes it, creates a scoring chance. So from what looks like an outnumbered situation, he still creates. Here, he's smart. He knows what people want to do with the puck. Steals it. Everybody's expecting him. Oh, this is a three on four rush. Watch him catch the fourth man entering the zone. There's a guy open at the net. So from nothing, he's creating quite a bit. And I think his playmaking has been really understated so far going into this season.
3: So one of the things that I find so fascinating when watching a player trying to make a dent in the league and trying to figure things out is there's a pattern to dissecting the ice and an angle of attack that's just different in the NHL than it is in junior or in minor uh, in, in the minors. So when you take a look at the way that he enters the zone for the Chicago Blackhawks, how will that help him? How will that help the entire Hawks team when it comes to the power play and setting things up?
1: Well, I think it's, first of all, it's, he knows how to kind of change gears. He is, you know, I'm not going to say he's Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid, but he has some similarities to his approach through that transition zone. Frank, you say I bring different terminology to the show, I I believe that the top of circles to tops of circles kind of stretches out what I call either the speed zone or the transition zone. And he knows how to change gears excessively well.
3: So let's take a look at those power play clips now and and what uh, that transition looks like from your eyes, John.
1: So again, here, he's going to attack the space, giving room for Donato, but he's also not afraid. He turns it over. Right? He turns it over. So, what is accountability? Do we just bench him? Do we just say, don't ever do that again? No, you know what he's going to say? I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go against Boston now, and I'm going to try to dangle these guys. Right? What it's going to eventually do is it's going to buy space for others. So, here he is against Montreal, and he's still going to attack the inside. And what does that create? It creates a little give and go situation here with Donato on a drop pass. He keeps moving. He rolls up high and here's Donato walking in and you got a two-on-one situation. So if you stifle him and tap him on the fingers and say, don't turn it over or don't carry it through the middle, then what are you going to do? You're going to stifle his ability to create and get a lot of guys other space. And also we're going to reduce his opportunities to create scoring chances, even from outside dots. The rest of these clips, we're going to really focus on the offensive zone. Everybody's really focused on his shot and potentially his one-timer. Well, teams are not sleeping anymore. Nolichari wants to push him above the tops of circles. This is
3: his first game in the NHL, just so everyone understands. He's being treated from puck drop like Alex Ovechkin on the power play. 100%.
1: 100%. And they're shadowing them like crazy. They're they're kind of pushing them outside and above. So a lot of young players are going to do what? They're going to fold like a cheap tent. But what it's doing is it's creating these two-on-one opportunities down low. If Chicago could get uh, be a little less surprised by the opportunities that this is going to open up for them, their power play could really take off. The other element is when he's going to get pushed up, there are going to be certain players like Anola Cherry. They're going to get their shot in from once in a while. But that's okay. He gets up and he's not phased because here he is. He senses that urgency to get that puck off to the net. But what we're also going to see is as the play develops, even though he stumbles, is that you want to push me above the tops of circles? Guess what? I'm going to move and I'm going to draw you guys out of position and create space for others. Now Corey Perry's moved up. Now there's this rotation. And now, Jones eventually is going to have to read these types of crisscross plays with Connor Bedard because once he starts getting moving, there's one other power play that really has as much movement as what Connor Bedard brings, and that's Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. He comes up above. He, again, freezes the guy in the slot. Boom, on Reichel's stick, and he was almost surprised by the opportunity of a one-timer. He walks the line real well. He's not shy to carry pucks deep. And then he understands where space is and then he gets himself open in the one T spot. So he's not going to be limited by what the PK uh, schemes are. He's just going to have the confidence that he had in junior. He's going to learn from say certain turnovers, but he is going to bring a certain dynamic to their power play again, above circles where he's going to travel and create miscommunications or miscues, which creates down low two-on-one opportunities. And he's so fast to read loose pucks. Again, he's going to carry a little switch, a little give and go. Again, it's going to create opportunities down low. So I think what the big, one element is that they did not advertise his playmaking as much as I've witnessed here in the first three games. But the other part, and watch this play, this calm play on five on three. He's going to find the guy back door and again, the guy's surprised. He's not ready for it. I think that As the Chicago Blackhawks, other players start to understand space, just get open, his numbers and their numbers will be quite surprising, especially on the power play.
0: Top Shelf Insight, John Goins. This was fantastic stuff. You can find him on Twitter at Gourmet Hockey. The Coaches Room brought to you by DoorDash. You see the promo code up at the top of your screen for our Canadian listeners. That's 25% off, up to a $10 value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter that code NATION25. Appreciate it, John. We'll chat again next Monday. Have a good one, guys. Moving along to our daily faceoff inbox question, hashtag ask DFO. And I'm throwing some shade to our YouTube chat because you guys are getting bumped for the question. I was keeping an eye on our Twitter chat today. Frank, we had a Sharks fan in there who wanted us to give the Sharks some love. So here's what I'll do. Mackenzie Blackwood, 51 save outing. Does that have the possibility to be one of the sneaky best offseason moves? I mean, look, there's a lot
3: of room to grow and it's one game and, and throw in all of the early October caveats. But I would say if he's healthy, yes, it's not that long ago, three years ago that we were talking about Mackenzie Blackwood as one of the bright young up and coming goalies in the league. There's a trust factor there. Mike Greer was an assistant coach in New Jersey, saw that he's the GM in San Jose gives him the opportunity. I think he could be a sneaky, good trade chip for San Jose. If he continues to play like this, that would be, a fascinating development for a guy whose career seemed like it was kind of on the ropes this past
0: summer. Hmm. Team in California maybe has an extra goalie earlier in the show. Oh, yeah, kind of- I
3: see what you're yeah. doing there. Yeah, there you go. That
0: makes sense. Uh, let's move along to our Botano Daily Bets. rank. Friday was a great day to make some money on the Arizona Coyotes. I went with the Yotes money line and they came through with a shootout victory. Um, I was very fired up about that. So I wanted to put a nice picture of Logan Cooley here at the bottom and give the Coyotes some props for uh, winning me a little bit of coin. Tonight, three games in the, or sorry, three picks for the NHL slate. I should say I'm going to start with. A little shot prop in the Leafs versus Hawks game. Tyler Bertuzzi, his line is two and a half. It's paying minus 118. You'll see here, like Nylander's hitting a shot prop in the first couple games. They juice that up to minus 154. Noah Gregor's hit his. They juice it up to minus 200. Tyler Bertuzzi, minus 118. He has nine shots through two games. He only needs three for this to hit. It is the best shot prop on the slate tonight in the NHL. I'm also rolling with the Calgary Flames on the money line. I kind of like what they've been bringing forward early in the season here. This rejuvenated- you're not looking at a Matthew Phillips
3: revenge game.
0: Ah, uh, I mean, I, I see the angle. Matthew I see the Phillips angle. to
3: get a goal. I mean, that's what I'd be signing up for tonight.
0: Yeah, that is. I'm uh... gonna
3: Marty St. Louis you to death, Calgary. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, Matthew Phillips has been a great story in camp, but I'm rolling with the Flames, minus 125, and also uh, the over between the Blackhawks and the Leafs. I think I'm just going to bet every Leafs game over until they get on a run where they show that every game won't just be an absolute shootout.
3: And what if you just kept compounding it, meaning every winnings you get, you just bet it on the next one?
0: But then the danger with that, Frank, is when do you stop?
3: You don't like look at the uh, so the Eagles finally lost on Sunday. But if you had yeah. bet the Eagles in in money line, I think it was consecutively since like last November, you'd have four hundred and forty thousand if you kept compounding it and started with one hundred bucks. It's some like wild stat.
0: But then you would lose it. You would have lost it all yesterday if you would have kept rolling, you know? Yeah, I get it. But it at some point,
3: yeah, I don't know. just keep going. Let's 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 uh, start sure. an experiment and then we'll sure. know when to stop.
0: Let's do it. Uh, Okay. Wrapping up the show with a little bit of garbage time here because we're running a little long. I wanted to give some love to Matty Tompkins. uh, The Tampa Bay Lightning gave him a start the other day. Frank, 11 years after he was drafted, the Edmonton product finally made his first career start. Also a former Sherwood Park Crusader. So shout out to the AJHL and shout out to Matt Tompkins who got a well-deserved first career NHL start. Pretty cool.
3: Yeah, pretty awesome. And that Lightning goalie situation is so fascinating to watch. If you would have told me before the season started that Matt Tompkins would be making a start, I would have said you're crazy.
0: Yeah, it is crazy to think about where the bolts are at right now. Uh, that is a wrap on the first show of the week. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up throughout the next couple of days here on the show, Frank, including a fun little segment with our new friends at crown Royal generosity lives in the small things, crown Royal crown everything and i see you got a bottle there i got a little bottle here and i noticed they both got a little dent taken out of them yeah
3: how such is not? life you got to live generously
0: how could you not uh we'll be back tomorrow noon eastern time with another edition of the show and every day throughout the rest of this week big shout out to the youtube chat hit the like button before you close your window and we'll chat with you again tomorrow
2: thanks for tuning in to daily face off live make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode